Hi, this is Dr. Jonathan Vorce's daughter, Nikki, from Lakewood Family Church. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, helps you, and uplifts you. We're here to win the lost, to train disciples, and to make Jesus famous. Hope you enjoy the message today. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Word says this, and this is part of our series here on the commands of Jesus. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So we see the great commission there is go, baptize, and teach. Right? Go baptize and teach. And he said, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. So we are in a series on the commands of Jesus. The command that we're dealing with today is, once again, in the book of Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin at verse number 27. And there's two commands I want to talk to you about, uh, hopefully briefly today. But I want to share them with you. Here's what it is. Matthew 5, beginning in verse number 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, the command of Jesus there is to not commit adultery. Now, I want you to go with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, we will begin in verse number uh, 3 there. And read down through verse number 11. John 8, verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto Jesus a woman that was taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the privilege of being able to break the bread of life. I pray that you would touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear. May our spirits and our hearts receive this word today. May we be inspired to put to practice what we hear today concerning your word. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I chose John chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 as the example, the illustration uh, of this command that Jesus gave when Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 27 when Jesus said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I chose this because I felt like it was important in the very beginning because we're going to talk about what adultery is. We're going to talk about how to not do it. We're going to talk about those things. But I want you to know in the very beginning of what I'm sharing with you that, that if you're caught in this web that there is hope. There is hope. Jesus, when uh, some of you were here uh, a few years back when I did a series called Conversational Evangelism. 
And on that, in that series, I took the story of this woman that was taken in adultery, and we preached an entire, I preached an entire message on this woman that was taken in adultery. In the process of that message, we talked about how that it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that was accusing this woman. It was religious people. It wasn't the people that were with Jesus, that were in relationship with Jesus. Obviously, they were there with Jesus, but they weren't the ones accusing her. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and those that were uh, you know, in hierarchy and had a religious spirit. And they came to Jesus trying to trap Him. And they asked Jesus, he, they said, Moses' law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? And the Bible said that Jesus knelt down and began to write on the ground. And so he wrote for a little bit and then he got up and he looked at him and he said, those of you without sin, you cast the first stone. I don't know if you were here for that series when I was preaching that message, but I carried a basket of stones around. And I would pick up a stone out of that basket and I would say, who will take this stone? Who's going to throw this stone? Who's going to cast this stone? I'd say we just put them back in the basket. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, there go all of us. Right? And so every single one of us, and what I'm getting ready to talk to you about, every single one of us, the Bible said that people are, uh, are tempted when they are drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And so every single one of us has to fight the enemy in some area of our life. Some people have to fight the enemy in this particular area. Jesus said, do not commit adultery. That's what he said. That was a command that he said. That's part of being a good disciple. So he looks around at these guys and he says, those of you that are without sin, let them first cast the stone at her. And the Bible said, then he stooped down and he began to write on the ground again. Now theologians do not know what Jesus wrote. But I submit to you that it could have been that the same finger of God that legislated the law that they parroted and quoted could have written in the dirt that day the legislation of God's grace. Jesus was the personification of change. He was the central figure of all Christianity. Without Jesus, none of us would be where we are today. Jesus... Jesus came into this earth and everything changed. Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. Jesus starts moving in the midst of a group of people like this and everything changes. We can't, creation cannot be touched by the Creator and it not elicit some kind of a response. And so it's important for you and I to understand that Jesus tells us not to commit adultery, not because He doesn't want us to enjoy ourselves, not because He doesn't want us to have fun, not because He doesn't want us to satisfy lustful desires. Jesus tells us not to commit adultery because He loves us and He knows what committing adultery will do to us. And He doesn't want us to do that. So adultery, with that said, adultery is simply voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Uh, uh, Pat, uh, Brother Philip, he talked a, a little bit about concupiscence. Concupiscence uh, is ordinate, inordinate sexual desires. The Bible talks about that as part of the works of the flesh. God takes adultery seriously. Now listen, I'm, I'm giving this to you because I love you, but I'm, I'm not going to mince words, okay? God takes adultery seriously. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 and 14, right before he said that we're not supposed to kill. He said you're not supposed to commit adultery. 
And so God listed it right before murder. Why? Because adultery will kill relationships. Adultery will destroy your life. You say, well, it feels good. Well, the Bible said there's pleasure in sin for a season. What happens when the season ends? What happens when it's over? Families are broken. Lives are broken. Lives are changed. So in the Old Testament, adultery was a capital offense. Leviticus chapter 20. In the Old Testament, uh, it was worthy of the death penalty. In Hebrews 13 and 4 and 1 Corinthians 6, God promised to judge those who are adulterers. Jesus continued in, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 28. He said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that's in the English Standard Version, he said, has committed adultery with her in his heart already. Some of you have heard me tell about how I helped my son when he was a teenager. I tried to help him, and I think it took. And I told him, I said, son, I said, it's not the first look that gets you. It's the second one. You know, when the babe walks by, you are a red-blooded American boy. God wired you to notice beauty. And when you're a teenager in early 20s and in your 30s, there's something inside of you that goes, that's a guy. It's there. God put it there. It's not that first look. It's that second one when you start having word pictures develop in your mind, when you let your imagination start running wild. And what happens is the imaginations of your heart eventually come out of your mouth. And when you start uttering out of your mouth the imaginations of your heart, then that spirit will attach to other individuals as well. And you'll feel like you have a connection, but really it's a demonic attraction. The enemy is out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So here's what I taught my son. I told him, I said, every time she walks by, this is before he was married. I said, every time that babe walks by, I say, just go, good job, God, and just keep going. <laughs> so over the next several months... We're driving down the road and we're hearing, good job, God. We're in the store, we're hearing, good job, God. We're in the restaurant, we're hearing, good job, good job, God, good job. Why did you teach him to do that? Because when you call on God, he will help you. He will help you. And so, you know, when the Bible says here, I say to you, and Jesus took it a step farther than God did in the Old Testament. Jesus took it a step farther. He said, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in her heart. So notice the phraseology, at a woman with lustful intent. So that would speak of pornography. That would speak of going places where uh, people are offering themselves in a seductive manner for the purpose of of pulling you away. Uh, you know, women have the same problem, but it's not as, as difficult as men because women, you know, uh, I'm telling you what Donna told me now, women are turned on by touch and by flowers and by chocolates and by diamonds and by stuff like that. Okay. I just go with whatever she says. I don't, you know. But they, but they love it, you know, when you spend, spend time telling them how beautiful they are and all that. But a guy... Listen, ladies, you have power. Listen, listen, especially if you're a babe. Listen, you've got power. you got power. Pastor, I can't believe you're talking. Have I ever not been real with you? I'm, gonna be, I'm being honest here, okay? Guys have a problem with that. 
if, especially if you're presenting yourself in a seductive way. That's why it's important to watch how you react. That's why it's important to watch how you dress. That's why it's important to watch how you interact with someone who is not your spouse. And so it's very, very important that, you, that you, don't, you don't want to cause someone to lust. You don't want to. Now, it's their, it's their responsibility to not take the second look. It's their responsibility to do that. But there's responsibility on both ends. So the Bible says that, that when you look at a woman with lustful intent, so that would be pornography, that would be pornography on the Internet, that would be movies that you shouldn't watch. Now let's just get right down where we live. You know, how many times have you started watching a Netflix series or something like that and all of a sudden, there it is. And well, we'll just fast forward those, those places and before you know it, about two more shows in, you're fast forwarding through half the show. Might be time to just say no to that series. See? And so you can't, you're not going to keep winning if you keep allowing it in front of you. And so we don't look at them so for, for and so that, that all comes because of a spirit of perversion. You know, God's, God tells us that we can be free from that. So there comes a time when we have to quit passing the buck. There comes a time when we have to take responsibility for our own actions. There's a famous preacher, I won't tell you who he is because we live stream the second service, but there's a famous preacher several years ago. I was in a meeting when he was sharing with a bunch of ministers. He made the statement. He said, I, and if I said this guy's name, most of you would know who he was, especially some of our older brothers and sisters. You would know who this person was. And he shared this. He said, I would travel around and he said, I would fill up stadiums. And he said, I couldn't wait for the service to end so I could go back to my motel room and pick up on that porn movie that I was watching, he said, before I left to go preach. And he said, one day the Lord spoke to me. And he said, he said I'm crying out to God. He said, because there's a lot of shame in that. There's a lot of condemnation in that. And he said, because I, I didn't want to do it, but then it would overcome me and, and, and I would fall to it. And he said, so I cried out to God and I said, I need some help. And he said, I called some friends of mine together that were ministers. And he said, I called them all in. Some of them flew in. He said, I took a, a folding chair. I set it right down in the middle of them. And he said, I looked around them at them with tears streaming down my face. And I told, I told them, I have a problem and I need you to help me get free. I need deliverance. And they got around him and they prayed for him and God set him free. And his testimony is, I've never had a problem since. Never had a problem since. Thank the Lord for that. Now, here's what we can learn from that. God will set us free if we try. But God is not going to give us freedom if we don't want it. You've got to want to be free. You have to, be want to, you have to want to be free. You know, some people can't get free because they're enjoying their bondage too much. They're saying, Lord, I want you to set me free. Oh, God, they get an atmosphere like this. Oh, God, I want to be set free. Oh, God, I want to be set free. Oh, God. But 3 o'clock in the morning's coming. Hmm? Come on. Midnight's coming. Tomorrow's coming. The next day's coming. You know, if you want to be free, then you need to want to be free 365 days out of the year, every minute of every day. And so God will set us free if we want Him to set us free. God will set us free if we try to get free. But we can't say, well, God just didn't set me free, so here we go again. No, you're not trying. You're not trying. You've got to give God something to work with. When you say, I'm going to reject that, that is an activity of faith 
that the Holy Spirit can attach to to help break that shackle off of you so you don't have to live like that anymore. So this is why it was important. And this is why it's important that we don't just get forgiven, that we become born again. I'm going to say this again. This is why it's important, okay? That we don't just get forgiven, that we become born again. I don't ever find fault with anyone who comes out of a life of any, any type of sin or sickness, or I, I, I say sickness, but any type of sin or bondage or addiction. I, you know, what right do I have to find fault with them? Except for the grace of God, there go I. Except for the grace of God, there go you. When somebody comes and gives their life to Jesus Christ, and they really give their life to Jesus Christ, they're not the same person that they were when they were in sin. They're born again. Being forgiven of sin is one thing. Being born again is another. Being forgiven is wonderful. The blood of Jesus Christ is applied to our heart and our life. That sin is washed away. We don't have to live under it anymore. The Bible said that God removes that sin as far as the east is from the west. But we need to take it a step farther and say, Okay, I'm going to not just be forgiven. I'm going to be born again. That means old things passed away. All things become new putting off the old man, putting on the new man, allowing the Word of God to renew my mind so I can embrace my new life and I can embrace my new beginning. When God looks at you now, since you've given your life to Jesus, when God looks at you, He doesn't see what you was. He sees you for who you are and He sees you for the potential that He's put inside of you. How dare we, as God's church, see you any other way? Look at your neighbor and say, Selah. Hebrew word for think about that. Pause and think about it. Pause and think about it. And so when a person joins themselves to another person through sexual relationships, they are becoming one with that person. When you become one with that person, whatever's in them has access to you. Whatever's in you has access to them. Many people before they give their life to Christ have been with many different people in that way. And that is, that is allowing that access from your life into theirs and their life into yours. But when you give your life to Jesus, like the woman at the well, or like the woman here that was caught in adultery did, when you give your life to Jesus, God just unhooks you from all of that stuff. And you're no longer attached to it because the old man is dead and the new man or woman is alive in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now your flesh is going to holler, what about me? What about me? What about me? And you're going to say, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Dead dog, dead. That's what you're going to do. You're going to say, I'm born again, living in my brand new life. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When the enemy comes in and says, well, what about me? Say, let me introduce you to my father. Hey, come on. Come on. 
And when you introduce that addiction to your heavenly father, when you introduce that temptation to your heavenly father, you know what they do? They do the same thing that those demons did with Jesus. We know that you are Jesus. We know who you are. And Jesus didn't even have a conversation. He said, go. 2,000 ran down into the, into the sea and perished. So the woman caught in adultery was born again. She wasn't just forgiven. She was born again. And what did Jesus tell her? He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Well, that's what happens to us when we give our life to Jesus. We become born again. And Jesus tells us, no condemnation in you. No condemnation here. Go and sin no more. John 3, 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And since we're talking about it today, that means adulterers and adulteresses as well. God loves you. God cares about you. And He's provided a way for you to be free. So you say to me, well, that's great, Pastor, but what about the YBHs now? How can I do this? Tell me, the YBH, the yes, but how? So I want to be free. I want to be free. How do I get free? Well, first thing is you just have to be responsible for your conduct. You have to say, you know what? I'm going to admit it and quit it. I'm going to admit it and quit it. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 through 20 says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So when we become born again, then we become one with Christ. We have the DNA of our Heavenly Father. We've been engrafted into the vine. We have the blessing of Abraham. Shall we continue here? Son of God, heir of God, join here with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Our whole identity changed because the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to our heart and the blood of Jesus Christ was applied to our life and now we are new creatures and new creations in Christ Jesus. The old man is dead. Dead. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Why would he say that in the next verse? The reason is because he knows that the, that the flesh is going to lust after what's going on in your spirit with God. The flesh wants that space that has God's name on it. And you've got to make up your mind. You know, I'm going to flee sexual immorality. Every other person, here's what it says. Every other person, every other sin, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. And the reason they sin against their own body is because they open themselves up to whatever is going on in that partner's life. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Look at your neighbor and say, your body belongs to the Lord. You know, when, when we give our life to Jesus, you know, our temple belongs to the Lord. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly... Tall, short, skinny, fat. You know, we all belong to the Lord. You know, pretty, ugly, tolerable. We all belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, don't want to get off on that. 
Then the second thing, so we need to pay attention to 1 Corinthians 17, 20. We need to realize there is a battle that's going to go on between my flesh and my spirit and I'm either going to be joined to the Lord or I'm going to be joined to the lust of the flesh. The Bible calls it the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's every sin you ever commit will be rooted in those three things. One of those three things or maybe all of them. The second thing that we can do to be free from this is cut off the things that may lead you to look at others and lust after them. Here's what the Word says in James 1, 13 through 15. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and He Himself will not tempt anyone. God will not tempt you. He will not tempt you. Then the Bible said, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the Word of God tells us that we need to cut off those things that, we, that may cause us to look at others and lust. We cannot say that I'm tempted by God. God is not going to tempt you to grow you up. That's not what God does. That's not how He acts that's not how he conducts himself. Then the third thing that we need to do in the YBHs of this is we need to clean up our life. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready to get real now. Mm -hmm. You cannot keep going to the bar and not become an alcoholic again. Are you ready to get real? You ready to get really real? You can't keep going to the gentleman's club. And stay faithful to your wife. Or your husband. You can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. Don't find fault with people in that club trying to make a living. Huh? They shouldn't be there, but neither should you. And if you weren't there, they wouldn't have clientele. <laughs> I'm going to let Liz preach this part. But you've got to clean up your life. That means you've got to remove all of the things that would cause you to stumble and encourage you to sin. So you might need to have a house cleaning. You might need to get rid of some books. You might need to get rid of some movies. You might need to give your spouse access to your history on your internet. You might need to have a. a, a you might need to revisit. Uh, you know, the accountability and come into an accountability covenant with the person that you're married to. Make sure they have all of your passwords. Make sure that they can have access to your electronic devices and and vice versa. So you can keep yourself accountable. I know several people. Now, I can't, I can't do this with Donna because she talks too much. But I know. <laughs> I'm teasing. But I know several people that, that when they get married, they just have one Facebook account. And the husband and the wife both share the account and have access to that account. That helps you be safe. Uh, now, now, oh, Jesus, you ready? Here we go. You don't need, when, when you give your life to Jesus, when you, be, when you become married, you don't need a his and a her checking account. You need to have a combined checking account. Why do you want a his and a hers anyway? What you trying to hide? Huh? 
Well, you know, we've just got these bills and this comes out of this account and that comes out of that account. Okay, if you're going to have a hit, if you're going to have uh, two checking accounts, then one shouldn't be his and one shouldn't be hers. You should just have two checking accounts with both of you having full access to both of them at all times. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. That way, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33 through 34 says this. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So you might have to, you know, sever some companions that you've had in the past. You might have to sever yourself from some associates. Now, let me talk to some of you precious people that are dating. Okay? Let me talk to you for just a few moments, all right? If you keep finding yourself in trouble in the back seat of the automobile, maybe you should avoid the back seat of the automobile. Come on, we're being real here. Come on, this is a command of Jesus. Don't commit adultery. It's a command of Jesus. So we're talking about how do we do that? You avoid the back seat of the automobile. Well, I go to his house and, you know, we're adults and all of that kind of stuff. So he invites me in and I figure I'll just go in. And you go in and you get yourself in trouble. You know what? You get yourself in trouble. You need to dust yourself off. Say, not doing that again. Lord Jesus, forgive me. And you don't go back in that house. No ringy, no thingy. You got it? Keep yourself pure. You have to set up boundaries. You've got to set up the boundaries. You have to set the boundaries. You have to set the boundaries. You've got to set boundaries. You have to set boundaries. The boundaries have to be set. You've got to set boundaries. Am I getting the point across? Set the boundary. Set the boundary. Set the boundary. Look at your neighbor and say, what's he trying to say? Set the boundaries. Thank you. Set the boundaries. You've got to set those boundaries. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your... In verse number 34, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God and I say this to your shame. So what he's saying it there is sometimes, you know, I, it, it surprises me when people get shocked when sinners sin. Sometimes sinners are sinning and they don't even know they're sinning. And the Bible says here, some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. So what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34, be responsible and set the boundaries because the person that you're with may not know where the boundaries are or may not even know the purpose for that boundary. So take the initiative if you're single to set up boundaries that keep you pure. You ask me why? You ask me how? Yes, but how? So I told you. This is what the word says. So you, so you might have to, you might have to, you know, sever yourself from some companions. You may have to sever yourself from some associates. Because some of them aren't going to understand. And some of them are going to be all seductive. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6? It says to, it was Solomon talking to his son. And he says, don't be taken with the flattery of the woman who bats her eyes at you. 
That's what it says. That's what it says. Read, read Proverbs chapter 6. You'll get an eyeful. Read Proverbs chapter 6. The second thing that I need to share with you. Y'all still with me? Can I, can I finish this? Okay. All right. You know, the, the Word of God, even when you're teaching things that are like this, it doesn't have to be harsh. I mean, we can still say, you know, this is what the Word says. And let me say, I, I feel just prompted by the Holy Spirit to say this. And I'm probably, you know, I said it in the first service and I've been kind of, uh, uh, but I keep feeling like the Holy Spirit keeps saying, uh, uh, you know, okay. So I'm going to say it. You ready? We live in beautiful Florida. We have wonderful people in Florida. We have several elderly people in Florida who were married once upon a time. And their spouse has passed away. And if they were to get married to someone else, they would lose a lot of benefits. And so they come to me. I've had this happen over and over and over. You know, Pastor, can we just live common law? Because I really need my check. Okay, you're the pastor now. What would you tell them? Huh? Here's what you got to tell them. The word is the word is the word is the word. That's what you got to tell them. That's what you got to tell them. One lady looked at me and said, Yeah, but my body needs something. I said, What your body needs is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second thing that we need to talk about here. <laughs> I ain't talking about that no more. I'm done. Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's enough. All right. Now, Matthew chapter 5, and the second thing we're going to talk about, and it won't take as long, but second thing is found in verse, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Here's what it says. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Dear Lord, <laughs> let what you say, now listen, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, this is in the English Standard Version, which is the most literal translation that we have of the Bible today in English, translating from Hebrew and Greek. The Word of God tells us to simply say yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And the Word of God tells us not to do oaths. You know why? Because if you're going to tell the truth... There's no reason to make an oath. Hmm? If you're going to tell the truth, there's no reason to make an oath. If someone has to be sworn to an oath constantly to make them keep their word, it's because they have a problem with honesty. And so the second thing that I want to talk to you about today is God's Word tells us, Jesus told us, that we're not to swear oaths. In other words, we're supposed to keep our word. We, we, and the Word of God. And the command is found right there where it says in verse number 37, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so why is it so important to tell the truth? Because there's power in the truth. Well, how can I tell the truth? You make a statement and you strip everything away from it that's not true and you have the truth. 
Duh. You say, Pastor, that just sounds so simple. Because it is. It, it, it is. You know, how, how many times have... I'm preaching about being truthful during tax season. You know that, right? You know, April the 15th is right. We did our taxes last night. At first I was like, oh, dear Jesus. And then I started rejoicing because Donna forgot something and she fixed it. And I'm grateful for that. John 8, 31 through 32. There's power in truth. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Not when you fudge. That's not going to set you free. One guy told me, one guy told me, he said, well, pastor, he said, it's not a lie. It's just good business. I said, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, waddles like a duck, water runs off its back like a duck, if it goes quack, 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 that's a duck. A lie is a lie is a lie. It's not good business. It's just a lie. It's just a lie. And so the reason that it's important to pay attention to the truth and tell the truth is because the truth just sets people free. You can tell someone the truth and it'll set them free. You can hear the truth and it'll set you free. You know, we got too many people standing in the pulpit today across America and different parts of the world that's trying to powder people's noses instead of preach things into their life that will transform them. That's truth. When I stand before God, I'm not going to hear you sugarcoated it. My goal when I stand before God is to look at, you, at every single one of you. They made it. They made it. They made it. Oh, dear God, I wondered about that one. But they, <laughs> they made it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's my goal. I want to help you guys make heaven. I want to help you get there. And I want to help you enjoy the journey on the way. You don't have to be miserable living for the Lord. Well, how do you know the truth? Well, circumstances changes, but the truth remains. How do you know that? Because circumstances are temporary. God's Word is truth. God's Word doesn't change. God's Word... You, you know, people try to twist God's Word up to try to fit into their life. You know, and you know that when they say, well, what about this Scripture? 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 Say, well, what about this? You know, what about just taking the Word at face value and just using it, applying it to your heart and into your life? Circumstances change. The truth remains. Let me give you some examples. Your circumstances say you're broke. That's temporary. God's Word says that He's the place of my provision. Jehovah Jireh, the place of provision. Your circumstances say, well, the doctor said that you have a terminal illness and you're going to die from that. You say, well, you know what? You can embrace that or you can say, you know what? That's a circumstance and it looks like that might be what's going to happen. But I've read what the Word of God says and the Word of God says that He took stripes for my healing and I make myself available for it and my confession of faith is by His stripes I was already healed. So by Faith, I receive it. You know, you can go out and you can uh, take a pair of scissors and you can go up to a beautiful rose bush and you can clip both blossoms and buds off of that rose bush. The moment that you clip that rose away from that rose bush, it's dead. 
You can take that rose, you can take that bud, you can put it in a vase, you can put water in the vase, and over the course of the next couple of weeks, that rose may just go ahead and fill out and it may put off a great fragrance and the bud may blossom out and it may, it may just look like that everything looks wonderful and everything looks great. But listen, wilting day is coming. Why? Because it's been severed from its life source. That's when we make our confession of faith, God's Word, when we speak God's Word over our circumstances, we are speaking truth over our circumstances and we are severing that circumstance from its life source. Things may look like that they're getting worse and worse and worse, but wilting day is coming. There's coming a time when that sickness will be no more. There's coming a time when that poverty will be no more. There's coming a time when that depression... It may look big now. It may look like it's blossoming now. It may look like it's getting bigger now. But you've got the truth at your disposal. And the truth is God's Word. Now, as long as you keep applying the truth, then you can expect the Word of God to work for you. The moment you quit applying the truth, then God's Word ceases to work. So don't blame God for something He didn't do when you dropped the ball on faith. Huh? Come on. Come on. The Word of God teaches us that we should walk in truth. We should walk in truth. All right. So how do I do that? And I'm closing. How do I do that? Well... First thing that you have to do is you got to make up your mind. I'm, I'm just going to inundate my life with truth. Well, how, how do you do that? You create, at, create atmospheres where the Word of God is just free-flowing. Through worship, through conversation, through fellowship, through the Word, the Word of God is flowing. Every time you get the opportunity or the, ch or the chance, excuse me, every time you get the opportunity, I don't know why I'm doing that. I haven't even had breakfast. That's why, yeah. Every, every, time, every time you get the Word of God, every time you get the opportunity, you need to just feed your spirit God's Word. Just feed it. Well, I don't want to be a Jesus freak. freak. Well, first of all, what's wrong with being a Jesus freak? Let me help you with that. You don't have to be a freak. You can be a fan. You can be a Jesus fan. And so how do I keep my Word? Especially when I'm used to fudging, you know. How can, how, can, how can I keep my word? You've got to inundate your life with the truth. And the way that you do that is you stay in this word. This is not just another book. Huh? That's why you can read the same scripture 45 years later and something pops out at you and you say, Whoa! Where did that come from? It's living. It's alive. It's the Word of God. The second thing that you need to do, this is the YBH, is the yes, but how, how do I stay in the truth? The second thing that we need to do is we need to keep our relationship with Jesus strong. Well, how come? Because if we keep our relationship with Jesus strong, then to know Jesus is to know truth. The Word of God says in John 14 and 6, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. When you keep your relationship with Jesus strong, then you will begin to realize that if I do fall down, I can get back up and He will help pick me back up. The person that overcomes addiction is the person that gets up one more time than they were knocked down. The person that overcomes the addiction is the person that just simply will not quit.
They will not quit trying to be free. They will not quit filling themselves with the Word of God. There will come a day when the Word of God that you are feeding yourself will crowd out that addiction. How do you know that? Because oil and water do not mix and word and addiction does not mix either. When someone comes and gives their life to Jesus, some people get, just get set free right then. God bless them. I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I've, I've been around enough to know that sometimes when you pray for someone to get free from an addiction, that after that there's a process. There's a process that they have to go through. And they have to keep going through that process. If they stop, then they got to start all over again. God wants you free. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants you free. Come on, let's say it like we mean it. Free baby free. Tell them, free baby free. Yeah, free baby free. And so, and so how do we walk in truth? How do we keep in truth? And I alluded to it just a moment ago. Everything that you say, before you say it, strip away everything that's not truth and that all you have left. I mean, everything that's, yeah, that's not truth and all you have left is the truth. Huh? What is the truth? It's a statement minus the lies. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you learn in college? <laughs> well, <laughs> truth is I learned that I was a lot dumber than I thought I was. That's the truth. That's the truth. So the commands of Jesus that we learn today is that we don't commit adultery and we don't tell lies. We stay in the truth. All right? Good stuff, huh? Let's all, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Come on, give the Lord a praise. He's worthy. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those who helped to give to keep the gospel moving forward. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description or visit jvorse.org for more information. Please share, like, subscribe if you enjoyed our podcast. Take a screenshot and tag us at Lakewood Family Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.